0: You're listening to Sound Opinions, and later in the show, we talk women in hip-hop. But first, we've got some new music to review. What have I done to help? What have I done to help? Somebody save me. What have I done to help?
1: What have I done to help? Not myself.
2: I thought I was alone
0: in the world until my memories gathered around me in the night. thought I was strong until I finally had to fight.
2: That is a little bit of What Have I Done to Help, the opening track on the sixth full-length studio album by Jason Isbell, Reunions. Greg, I think many of our listeners, and certainly the two of us, first became aware of Jason Isbell as a member of the Southern Rock outfit Drive-By Truckers. He was with that group for six years before splitting to pursue a solo career in 2007. Started out kind of under the radar and increasingly broke through in a big way with an unconventional country sound that uh, continued to grow. An audience, uh, 2017, the Nashville Sound probably reached more people than he has at any point, even though it was not traditionally a Nashville Sound. We had him on the show uh, giving a live performance and an interview in episode number 647, and now there's a lot of anticipation for Isbell's new recording what is he going to give people with the spotlight firmly on him once again he is recording with his band the 400 unit which uh, among others includes his wife amanda shires who we also are big fans of let's play a track from reunions the new jason isbell album we'll come back and give our reviews this is the song be afraid on sound opinions
0: stage belongs to you, and you feel like a star, and you can bark and snap like a dog at the man who just tuned your guitar, and I don't think you even recognize the kid in the wings, and I don't think you even see her in yourself, she looks to you for what to do with
2: all her delicate dreams, but you're too terrified to be of any help, be afraid, be afraid.
1: testing you and you fail to see how long that you could
2: hold it in before you scream but you only exhale i don't
0: think you even recognize the sound of your voice when it's blasting through the speakers in the sky And if your words add up to nothing then you're making a choice to sing a cover when we need a battle cry That is Be Afraid from the new Jason Isbell and the 400-unit album, Reunions. Uh, Jim, you did mention the 400-unit giving them co-billing with Isbell. I think that's quite intentional on uh, Mr. Isbell's part. Uh, He has been co-billing his records with the band. You know, I think he's lining up to uh, be part of that uh, pantheon, the the Springsteen and the E Street Band, the Tom Petty's and the Heartbreakers kind of lineage, you know. Not just a singer-songwriter, but a broader way of defining his sound. You know, he's still working from that country folk palette. I think a lot of people still view him as sort of like a country singer-songwriter, but the band uh, really does widen the spectrum. He's playing with, uh, with the broadest palette yet on any of his records. He's got all the way from that acoustic song, Dreamsicle. Dreamsicle on a summer To you know, something like their arena rocker, like a "Be Afraid" that we just played. It's a pretty wide range of instrumentation and also approaches to the the arrangements. You know, once again, a personal album. This guy lives in Nashville, but he is not part of that Nashville assembly line for country music. He is writing these songs from an adult perspective about where he is in his life uh, now, a family man. He's not pretending to be some cowboy out on the farm, you know, with the cowboy hat, you know. <laughs> um, drinking beers with the frat boys at the at the honky tonk on uh, yeah. you know, Friday nights, yeah. he's talking about what his life is like now, and when he's reflecting on where he was and where he's going, he talks a lot about this album being populated with ghosts—ghosts ghosts from his mm-hmm. past, ghosts of what he was. You hear it very, you know, straightforward in that song. It gets easier about his days as as a drunk. You know, flat out admitting that he had a real alcohol problem. Uh, That song talks about the struggles that he continues to have with remaining sober. You know, the idea of this ghost, you can't get rid of it. It gets easier, he sings, but it never gets easy. Exactly. And then I like how he finishes the record. I think these songs are very interconnected, the 10 songs on this record, looking at the future, looking ahead to the day that his daughter will get married. And, you know, talking about the struggle that he'll have with that issue. So, to me, one of his most personal albums, and yet also one of his boldest in terms of the range of sounds here. What do you think, Jim? I think uh, Isbol is looking ahead to the days when he's playing arenas and not just theaters.
2: I don't know if he'd be happy with that, Greg. I, think I, don't, I don't know if he'd, he'd be, be happy the, with uh... it either, but the sound <laughs>
0: seems like it's ready to fill that
2: space. You know what I mean? The sound, yeah. You know, you, you mentioned Springsteen and Petty, but I think the, the obvious comparison is Neil Young and Crazy Horse. As an MVP on this record, Sadler of uh, Vadden, who plays guitars along with Isbel, you know, there are some real crazy horse, rip roaring guitar workups in some of these songs that are just killer. Running with Our Eyes Closed is another great one. Be Afraid has a lot of that fire. Do it anyway. But, here is that other side. Remember, Russ Never Sleeps. The live album, my favorite of the Crazy Horse and Neil Young records, is half acoustic. And you know, he does kind of uh, fake us out by starting quietly this record. And will you read me what you wrote? The one I said you stole from Dylan, over encouraged only children. You know, it's an introspective record. I think it's a record that overflows with empathy. But at the same time, he has gotten a lot of guff for being outspoken in his empathy, and his embrace of diversity, and in, you know, I I don't want to use the word liberal, okay? But he's a man who cares about a lot of people, and it doesn't have a color boundary, and it doesn't have a class boundary, and he's been expressing that. And he's been getting a fair amount of kickback from the traditional Nashville establishment. I mean, hey, this record was recorded in uh, RCA Studio A, which is as classic Nashville as Nashville gets, right? But his message is one about understanding patience and empathy and also being fearless about speaking out even if it runs against the grain. He sings Tell the Truth. Enough, you'll find it rhymes with everything. If the words add up to nothing, then you're making a choice to sing a cover when you need a battle cry. We all need a battle cry, and Reunions is a great battle cry for this year.
0: I called color my life from the new Chicano Batman record invisible people Chicano Batman a band we have talked about on the show previously a quartet from East Los Angeles three of Mexican heritage a fourth of Colombian heritage have been around for more than a decade this is their fourth studio album they've released some EPs and singles in between there, have become an attraction on the, on the uh, festival circuit. They have played Coachella. they played Bumbershoot. They toured with Jack White uh, a few years ago. So they have uh, filled the bill on a number of big festivals as well as uh, theaters. They are working with a high-level production team here. Leon Michaels, who's known for his work with Sharon Jones, people of that ilk, uh, is the producer. But I thought a key addition for them on this record is Sean Everett as a mixer. A uh, guy who's worked with Alabama Shakes, War on Drugs, Casey Musgraves, Julian Casablancas. Quite a resume and mm-hmm. uh, bringing a level of detail to the production that I think is uh, kind of a new area for this band. Let's uh, play a track from Invisible People before we review it Polymetronomic Harmony from Chicano Batman on Sound Opinions. Everything is
2: fading fast like a polymetronomic. I'll Astronomic Harmony from Chicano Batman. The album is called Invisible People. Greg, you turned me on uh, to this group originally, and uh, I am a big fan of the previous records, a mix of Tropicalia, classic 60s sunshine, West Coast psychedelia, soul, Mexican roots musics. All of that is here on Invisible People, and I think they have taken a turn also toward more electronic pop sound, a mainstream electronic pop sound. Um, You know, but the more I listened to it, the more I realized that it was both of a piece with what I loved about the group before, and breaking new ground and being rather fearless in doing so. I think it's bringing in an element of air, you know, the French mm-hmm. electronic group, and and also Clive Tanaka, way underground uh, artist we've loved, mm-hmm. cassette-only artist, in that it's got that kind of bubbly, sunshiny pop. You know, this is like drinking a... Uh, carbonated fizzy drink out in the sun under an umbrella I say on the like 60th day in a row of rain and gray (laughs) and cold in Chicago and man I just need a little bit of that fizzy effervescent sunshine that Chicano Batman is delivering in spades I mean this is a very addictive and uplifting album no matter how low you may be feeling
0: very true Jim I think that this record is uh, the record that Tame Impala wanted to make a few months ago (laughs) but couldn't quite get there (laughs) Seriously, I was I was, I was thinking, yeah, 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 this is this is a cool, good one, a cool record. Whereas the Tame Impala record felt very fussed over and almost overproduced, and you know, so full of ideas that it didn't really have any songs. This record fulfills the potential that that record had with its sort of combination, as as you said, of straight ahead pop with the keyboards, but also that uh, psychedelic, acidy, experimental vibe. When you think about a song like The Way on this record, Mm -hmm. which just blew me away, it's one of those like an Eastern feel, and then the bells come in at the end and kind of the trippy lyrics. I thought, what a bold experimental track in the middle of what is essentially a pop record. You know, they are once again combining sort of these melting pot sounds they're pulling music from all over the planet blending genres fearlessly and combining the melting pot sounds with melting pot themes you know they are big on the whole notion of being an outsider in the country you live in the title track invisible people we're tired of living in the dark it's like it's time for us to come out in the open and acknowledge that we're all different and that's cool The music is expressing that, the lyrics are expressing that. I think this is a beautiful record and uh, the high point of their career so far. All right, two enthusiastic all thumbs up for Chicano (laughs) Batman.
2: Now we want to hear from you. What do you think of the new music from Jason Isbell or Chicano Batman? Call 888-859-1800 and leave us a message with your thoughts and why. Or join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. Coming up, our discussion with author Kathy Eondely about women in hip-hop. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX.
1: It, the rhyme, it is wicked. Those that don't know how to be pros get evicted. A woman could bear you, break you, take you. Now it's time to rhyme. Can you relate to Welcome
2: us? back to Sound Opinions? I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott. Can't see him, but he's on the other end of this remote line. And this week we are talking about women in hip-hop. Ladies first, Greg. While the history of hip-hop has been widely documented, the pioneering women rappers are often overlooked. In the early days of this art form, the path to success was more often challenging for women. The music industry, when they gave these women any attention at all, often tried to pigeonhole them as just
0: one thing, refusing to acknowledge the multitudes these artists contained. Today we're going to discuss some of those legendary female MCs and how things have and haven't changed for women in hip-hop over time. Our guest is Kathy Eondely, acclaimed music journalist and author of the book, God Save the Queens, The Essential History of Women in Hip Hop. Kathy, welcome to Sound Opinions.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
2: So you have been a journalist, a radio person, behind the scenes, present almost at the birth of hip hop, and still following it avidly today. Before we get into some of the stories, why? Why have we not had a great history that gives the ladies their due?
1: I think it's because hip-hop overall, you know, it struggled from day one as a viable art form, especially since it was coming off the heels of disco. And the assumption was that it was going to be just like another flash in the pan kind of sub-genre of something greater. So, of course, with any large movement trying to get its, like, well-deserved recognition, women always end up suffering on that alone by by any societal standards, right? I think once it became this huge, massive, multi-billion-dollar global beast and now surpassing rock music as the as the dominant genre you know you you turn around and you see 40 plus years where women were never given their respect in an industry now where we have our Nicki Minaj's and Megan The Stallion's and Cardi B's you know we should turn back around and just remind everyone just of how women got here in hip-hop
2: it just seems like so many of these great women were ignored r- right from the beginning. DJ Herc is getting the spotlight, but his sister, Cindy Campbell, is making that music happen.
1: Yeah, it was, you know, I opened my book with the, the discussion. You know, we, we talk about just, like, the birth date of hip-hop, and we credit it to this infamous party that DJ Herc threw in his apartment complex in the rec room on, on Sedgwick Avenue in the South Bronx.
0: I started out with okay. the dog. Lean brown, James Brown, clap your hand, stomp your feet. <laughs> that part right there with the break, boom, I had to
3: come in with Bonga <laughs> Rock.
1: actually his sister's idea. You know, she wanted to throw this party where charge at the door, pay for, you know, refreshments and things like that. And the money would go towards her buying her back to school wardrobe. (laughs) And she asked her brother to DJ. And that's really how it happened. And he became a legend that night. And I think just to know that on that birth date of hip hop, it was a woman's idea to even throw the party to begin with yeah. and we never really talk about that I mean it's something it's a story to tell
0: What about the early rap groups like The Sequence?
1: My name is Gwyn but they call me Blondie I'm better known as a
3: one and that I'm five foot two built so fine 36, 26, 36 down
0: I'm better known as Pecan Jan, a sequence freak with all the fans so when I clap my hands and I stomp my feet I jam. Here you have these teenagers in this early rap group that they too are are somewhat written out of the hip hop history books, even though they were a pioneering group. How do you explain it? I mean, was it just a case of, you know, men are running this industry, men are writing about it, men are documenting it, therefore they are writing out the women in, in the history books?
1: Well, there was a lot happening during that chunk of time that involved the pioneers, a little more, a little less, a decade. And when you're talking about a group like The Sequence, like they were one of the first to cut a record. I think what was happening was you're going through the stages of music in general and its delivery. Right. And hip hop was like a step behind. So it was the music was being performed. But then. It wasn't being recorded records weren't being cut and then when the records were cut they weren't reaching radio so you're talking about kind of this like truncated version of like the entire history of music mm-hmm. right the entire history of recorded mm-hmm. music i'll say yeah, yeah. so <laughs> groups like the sequence were able to cut a record but you have new york-based group the mercedes ladies who weren't able to do that right and you know you have the funky four plus one with you know the legendary Shah Rock. They were able to release music and they got on Saturday Night Live, but they weren't allowed to perform during the time period that the non hip hop acts got to perform. They had to perform when the yeah. credits were rolling, right? So there's like these little teeny tiny milestones that were being reached, but it all kind of culminated in 1984 with Roxanne Shantae's Roxanne's Revenge becoming such a huge radio hit.
0: Well, my name is Roxanne. Uh, don't you know i just a cold party and I do this show. These guys, and you know
1: because that marked a turning point, I think, for women specifically. Because what hip-hop was struggling with prior to all of that, when you're talking about the pioneers that came prior to Shantae, you're talking about just a struggle to still, again, be recognized as a viable art form with artists. Not to mention, they're performing at jams and in clubs, but they're not really getting paid. And they're like 13, 14 years old.
2: Tell us the Roxanne Shantae story.
1: Essentially, the the way the story goes, the late Mister Magic, alongside uh, Marley Marl and Fly Ty who. He later started Cold Chillin' Records. These, these three guys were kind of traveling along the New York City radio circuit because they had this show called Rap Attack. And it was one of the only radio shows where you could truly break records, right, mm. and, and put hip-hop on the radio. And, of course, it was nonprofit. The infrastructure was not going to put money into hip-hop. Yeah. So they were doing this nonprofit radio. This group, UTFO, had a single that they were trying to push that was a little more R&B-leaning. And the B-side was a song called Roxanne, Roxanne.
0: Yo, EMD. yeah what's up, man? Go that girl
1: they
2: call Roxanne she's all stuck up. why you say that Cause you give a guy like me no rap man, and that that really
1: Mr. Magic awesome. heard it and said that's your hit like that's the one that I want to play the other one is not you know yeah that's not the one and they're like I don't know like we're trying to get here we're trying to get there so what Mr Magic does you know never wants to back down he plays Roxanne Roxanne and it blows up <laughs> so to thank him, they were going to allow them to have this show where they would charge admission, and UTFO would perform. And by the time to earn them some money, obviously again mm-hmm. nonprofit. By the time this happened, I believe it was Kiss FM had already picked up the record, and they're making money now. They don't need them, so they basically canceled the show. And we're inching towards the holidays. So Flytie, Marley, Marle, and Mister Magic have no money now to buy Christmas gifts because they thought that they were going to actually get them. So they're annoyed and they're in um the Queensbridge projects outside kind of Mm -hmm. complaining about this and while they're complaining about this um a little girl in braces named uh shantae heading to do her laundry comes over and hears them talking and she had been known as like this neighborhood battle rapper you know involved in in the little project battles and all this other stuff and and she turned she said well i could diss them
2: (laughs) <laughs> and she was and, a heck of a rapper. And she
1: was, she was a heck of a rapper. So they're like, wait a minute, okay, let's 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 do something, you know. And where Shantae did her laundry was actually located um, in very close proximity, like the same building as where Marley Marl uh, recorded. Mm. So what Shantae did was she assumed the role of Roxanne. And in Roxanne, Roxanne, they're kind of. You know, it's, it's a cat-calling record at its best, yeah. right? It's, yeah. it's the equivalent of literally walking down the street in New York City and, and you know, a guy going, pss, pss, and you not saying anything, and then he, like, hurls an insult at you. That's basically what the song mm-hmm. is. So Shantae assumes the role of Roxanne, who then turns around and is like, okay, so here's the laundry list of why I'm never going to date you.
0: But let me tell you something else about the doctor, too. He ain't really cute, and he ain't great, he don't eat and that's He came up to me with some rap. But let me tell you something, don't you know was whack? So when he came that's
1: to me, essentially Roxanne's Revenge. You it's me. just a complete diss track yeah. to them. And Mr. Magic put it on Rap Attack and it went insane. you know, everyone wanted it. And Shantae started to grow in prominence. And that's when you realize just where the sexism started because you know there was like little I don't want to call it fun sexism but there was like little tricks and jokes that were happening prior to that you know when I speak with uh, baby D from the Mercedes ladies you know guys sometimes um, unplugging equipment when they're supposed to be performing and all sorts of like antics like that but this is a situation where money was actually on the table yeah because now you're promoting this record and you're taking it on tour and you're earning money so as soon as that happened Shantae became a threat. And we see that in the infamous battle between her and Busy B, where Curtis Blow gave her a four in her score and she should have actually won. Mm-hmm. And that um that infamous battle kind of dictates, you know, who is at the top at the time. And from that point, you just see the deliberate measures to kind of place women off to the side so that men could still thrive and and I speak with Curtis Blow about his four rating in my book and you know his kind of argument was that you know Shantae was profane and and you know you know she was part of the same crew as he was and she was kind of dissing him on a record too and and all these other things but we see that happen all the time with guys yeah and right, I think right. yeah it, it was just one of those one of many situations where you're like oh yeah
2: Right. Well, you know, there there are a couple of uh, of sad stories in the book and I think that the end of uh, or the premature end of Roxanne's career. You know, and, and another one, you know, decades later is is Lauren Hill.
0: Girlfriend, let me break it down for you again. You know I only said cuz I'm truly genuine. Don't be a hard rock when you really are a gem baby girl. Respect is just the minimum. When fun. You still defending us.
2: It seems like there is this super hard glass ceiling where what you can get to a certain point and then you disappear. You know, I mean, notoriously, hip-hop careers are often very short, much shorter. I mean, geez, we have 75-year-old Rolling Stones, right? For men even, but for women, they're even shorter.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think in in Lauren Hill's case, I think what the industry wanted from her was something far more stringent than any other hip hop artist, male or female, because she was able to penetrate the mainstream in a way where she was so beloved and she was still rapping but also singing and doing it very well. And the fact that she wasn't producing at the capacity that they wanted it was kind of like this write-off because no one paid attention to what was going on in her personal life and allowing her to be a human. I mean, we, you know, *Miseducation*—Lauren Hill came out when Lauren Hill was 23 years old. Yeah, I know what I was doing when I was 23.
2: She's a baby. She's, she's yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: She had her baby at 22, and then by *Miseducation*, she was pregnant with her second child, and she had gone through all of this heartache and heartbreak and. And also, when you're pregnant, your voice changes. So the album is done in a completely different tone than her actual singing voice. Yeah. So then you put this album on tour, and she's stretching her vocal cords to, to like a rubber band, and she has to go on vocal rest in between her dates because she, she's afraid her, she's going to sing her voice out. And then what happens? Oh, Lauren is emotionally damaged. Lauren can't sing like she used to. All of these things. And then not to mention, you have a creative team who's turning around and trying to take all the credit for what she did. Right. So the fear of moving forward is obviously there. And if your previous work is paying your bills, of course you don't want to release new material. So to have the reputation now, and then on top of all that, talking about how she's late for shows, it's always this constant aha, like waiting for something to point out. As opposed to acknowledging the fact that artists are human, just like us, but I think it's just a, a, a greater pressure placed upon Black women in music. I mean, we look at Billie Holiday, we look at you know Whitney Houston. The the pressures that are placed upon you know Black female artists is just insane to me.
0: When we return, we talk about the two archetypes people put female rappers into, and how only a handful of artists were able to transcend them. That's in a minute on sound opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX.
1: What's the matter with your life? Why you gotta mess with mine? Don't keep sweating what I do cause I'm
3: gonna be just fine. Check it out, if
2: Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott. And this week we are talking about the history of women in hip hop. Our guest is Kathy Eandley, author of the book God Save the Queens. Earlier in the conversation, we talked about pioneering artists in the 1980s like Roxanne Shanté, who was often forgotten. Moving into the 90s and 2000s, Kathy outlines two stereotypes often used to describe women in hip hop the sex kittens and the Nubian goddesses. I asked if artists were able to break out of those boxes.
1: No, and the titles themselves not necessarily what they represent was um brought to me by an artist in the book, Radiga, and you know, she told me that that's like what they would call the the girls who talked about sex for the sex kittens and she and Lauren and you know, Ladybug Mecca from Diggle Planets kind of identified as the Nubian goddesses. So it was like this idea that If you were sex positive or rapped about sexuality or or wore certain clothing, you know, you were leaning towards the, the sex kitten category. While if you were covered up and were lyrics driven and, you know, maybe wore your hair naturally, you were a Nubian goddess. And at the heart of that debate, you know, really just lies you're either acting too feminine or not feminine at all. That's really what it is. It's just two sides of the spectrum that are demanded of women. Like, pick your side.
2: It's men defining what women can be.
1: Absolutely, because I think in the world of hip-hop, either they're listening with their eyes or they're listening with their ears. And if they're listening with their eyes, they want something to look at. And I think that's where we get this weird dichotomy. Like, I credit Nicki Minaj for being the one who who possessed both, essentially, because she was probably the first to possess both. And in a way that was marketable and mainstream. Forward.
3: This
0: one is for the boys with the booming system. Top town AC with the coolest system. When he come up in the club, he'd be blazing up. Got stacks on deck like he's paving up. And he ill, he real, he might got a deal. He popped bottles and he got the right kinda bill. He called he doubt. He
1: might sell coat. He always in the air, but he never fly couch. Because Lauren Hill was able to do it, but she still had This wholesome reputation, I think. You know, only a couple times did people try to check Lauren. I remember she did a Details magazine cover where she was painted in gold and wearing these, like, red short shorts and a black top. And everyone's like, oh, like, now you're selling out. And it's like, no, not necessarily. She just loves her body and and wants another side of her. But she
2: was also dismissed like so many great rappers as, you know, it's a backpacker or a granola eater, right? Right, right. There was that element to the miseducation of Lauryn Hill.
0: Were the standards different, though, in hip hop than they were in any other musical culture or entertainment culture for that matter? It seems like women are being judged everywhere all the time throughout society. Do you feel it was different in hip hop?
1: I think it was especially different in hip hop between the years of 1996 and 1998 because after the back-to-back deaths of Tupac Shakur and the Notorious B.I.G., mainstream music was afraid of hip-hop. So by design, it was scary. So in order to figure out what to do with it as a whole, I think, you know, everyone kind of points towards, you know, Sean Puffy Combs as diminishing the street aesthetic of hip-hop at its core by introducing this, what they call a shiny suit era because he, you know, created these big cinematic songs that were super poppy.
2: You ready, Mace? Party people, in the place to be! Uh It's about that time for us to... Ah!
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. But what he was doing was he was actually bumping hip-hop into its next tax bracket by making it more hmm. um, mainstream appealing and saying, no, it's not scary. Even though my best friend was just shot and killed, it's not scary, I promise. Like, we're, we're out here entertaining and we're out here making music. Come on. So so yeah. And for women, not knowing where to place women in general prior to that, going into this next iteration of hip-hop. they don't know what to do with women after that either. Mm. So what started to happen was I mean, you know, prior to uh, Biggie passing, you know he discovered little Kim and she was kind of like the first she was the first lady, you know and and he created this little Kim quote unquote character. She later after he passed, found her own character, found her own personality, and found her own lyrics, and became completely iconic absent of him.
0: Everywhere I am red caught get the keys to my late total park. Then I jumps out the uh-huh. zone, little Kim Or uh-huh. Girls making faces like Ace and Ventura, and my V.A.D., G.I.R., L.S. is in a stretch, Ellis ain't shit you could tell us. Even got some of these, jealous, but tonight ain't about the fellas.
1: But when when Biggie was still alive and he was kind of mentoring Kim or when Jay-Z was mentoring Foxy Brown, there was kind of this like guy who was over there helping you write your lyrics, telling you what to wear, you know, whispering in your ear about everything. Right. And I mean, we can we can even say why Wyclef did the same for Lauryn Hill in a different way, of course. But during that time period, you had a man teaching you the ropes of an industry they themselves didn't even understand. So it leads to a lot of confusion. And then when you reach into 1999, once Napster happens, and the music industry goes on complete high alert, and people start to suffer with their art because they're afraid of music piracy and they don't know what to do. And of course, hip-hop is already confusing at its best at this point. Mm -hmm. The casualties become women ultimately because now it's like all right i don't even know what to do with jay-z so do you really think i'm going to figure out what to do with his artist Emil? <laughs> you know so right, it becomes right. it, it it becomes this whole thing where women just get put on the shelves and then on top of all that you have the kim and foxy era which made it the norm to hop on a stage in designer outfits and major makeup hair nails and have these elaborate shows where you're costing more money than a guy in a sweatsuit on his on stage, yeah. so then now you're like a financial burden.
2: Well, and on top of all of that, Kathy, uh, you know, uh, women are encouraged not to support one another, but to have these battles and continue uh, to tear each other down.
1: Of course, because they didn't want to fund two different women putting out albums, so let's knock one out. And the way we'll do it is we'll do it like it's like some sort of oil wrestling match, and you know that that's the other thing the goal was it was like the hunger games the idea was to make it more entertaining to male onlookers right Mm -hmm. but then also to figure out who would last out of the two and i think that's why we see a decade after that Nicki minaj holding down the spot for nearly 10 consecutive years Because she possessed both sides of the sex kitten, Nubian goddess balance and did so in a way that it made the music industry a lot of money. But they were so apprehensive as to like introduce someone else.
2: Yeah, but so did other women. You give a good chunk of love to uh, Missy Elliott. And how can one not? (laughs) Right? No, absolutely. I mean, she breaks everybody's mold.
1: Missy be putting it down. I'm the hottest round. I told your mother... Y'all can stop me now. Listen to me now. I'm less than 20 rounds. And if you want me, then come on, get me now. Right, but Missy was in a class by herself. I, I regard, like I said in my book, Missy was in a spaceship. Dude, <laughs> you know, Missy, Missy Elliott is the Andy Warhol of hip-hop. Mm. You know, she's like a Basquiat. She's, what Missy Elliott does lyrically... Fashion wise, video wise, you can't really place her. Miss, But Missy also wouldn't, you know, be wearing a bustier and fishnet stockings on, on a stage with um, a wig to her waist. So you can't, New, Missy Elliott is neither a Nubian goddess nor a sex kitten. Yeah,
2: so I, she doesn't, I thought the plastic bag suit was kind of sure. sexy, but that's me. <laughs>
1: Yes, yes. But but even so, that's another, the symbolism of wearing that, Mm -hmm, not showing mm -hmm. her body at all.
2: Right. Right.
1: I mean, that's what, that's why Missy was Missy and that's why Missy is Missy. And I'm just so glad that she's finally getting the recognition she deserves, you know. For her her genius across the board. Have got a cute face, chubby waist, six legs in shape. shaking both ways make you do a double take.
3: Throughout
2: your career, you have dealt with the Me Too issues. You have seen the best and the worst of the music industry. There's one riff in the book that stood out to me because mm-hmm. it's something that, that 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 I've always wrestled with as a male critic who does love hip hop and loves all music. Um, you know, the B-word. I don't want to hear it, you know, right. and I know we can have characters saying it and someone is portraying something and, and you kind of chart the different phases in hip hop and now women are trying to reclaim it is where I think you came up, but I got the sense that it also makes you uneasy. Why am I hearing this in what otherwise I'm going to enjoy?
1: Well, you know, Megan Thee Stallion released a song called B-I-T-C-H, right? i bad the be a beat. CH, because that's what you're gonna call me when I'm shooting anyway you know you can't control me baby you need the real one in your life the ain't gonna give it to you right how proud to be you be that song because it's her owning the word because she says that you're going to call me that anyway and she's the one that I think that's exactly Megan does the best job I feel right now in 2020 of discussing exactly but she also spells the word right and i think and that's where that's the thing that i think is you know she spells out the b word and it's the same uneasiness where it's an uncomfortable word but i'm just going to own it if you're going to call me it anyway as a woman you could call yourself that but if you know
0: mm, yeah. if
1: someone else calls you that then you know
0: the well, construction work i mean you're calling you're framing street. it as a act of defiance and Rap is defiant. So I understand that argument. At the same time, you know, I've heard rappers on panels, I've heard artists on panels say, hey, it's just words. And, well, words hurt. You know, words matter. This is all about words. It seems a little disingenuous to, you know, minimize the impact that that word has. And then. Yeah. You know, they're not supposed to be role models, right, necessarily, but um, nonetheless, there are young women listening to it, and uh, what what kind of message do they take out of it, you know, when they, they hear a woman that they look up to using that word? It's, it's a very, you know, we could argue about this for, for days, obviously. Like like... Is the game changing? Do you see that there is some progress being made in the way women in hip-hop are being perceived as artists?
1: My answer is I don't know. Because we still have to see what happens in the next five years. Because right now, what we're witnessing, I mean, Cardi B rose to prominence in um, 2018. And she was probably the first artist to break through since Nicki Minaj kind of successfully locked down that 10-year reign. So... I don't know yet because right now we're very much enmeshed in this whole, you know, discussion of women, right? It's a discussion and, and it's constantly just being, you know, dissected from all angles and, and all of these things. And yes, I'm, I'm creating books out of that discussion. But we have to see what happens a couple of years from now when female artists are hopefully just regarded as artists.
0: We have been talking to Kathy Iondaly, whose uh, book, God Save the Queens, The Essential History of Women in Hip Hop, is indeed an essential book. Uh, Kathy, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: That wraps up our conversation about women in
2: hip hop. Of course, we didn't have time to go over all of our favorite MCs. So now we want to hear from you. Do you have a favorite female rapper from the past or the present? Call 888-859-1800 and leave us a message or join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. As often as possible here on Sound Opinions, we take a trip to the desert island as opposed to our deserted (laughs) stay-at-home shelters right now. Uh, Greg, you are going to pay tribute to an artist we both admire.
0: Yes, indeed, Jim. Hamilton Bohannon died uh, April 24th at the age of 78, one of many tragic losses in the music world over the last few months. Bohannon may not be a household name to uh, many of you, but I think if you were around in the 70s and into funk, you couldn't escape Bohannon if you went to a club and wanted to dance. His music was particularly geared toward the dance clubs, and he was a huge factor in disco, the rise of disco, and later on a huge influence on the emergence of house and techno. Modest presence on the pop charts. He did have a a number nine hit with Let's Start the Dance on the R&B charts, but uh, as I said, most of his fame was accrued from those club hits that he had, the songs that were hits when the DJs were playing for a dance crowd. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think his one connection to... The mainstream world outside of funk and and the dance scene was a tom-tom club giving him a shout out on genius of love alongside james brown and Smokey robinson you know they had a bohannon right up there you know with the greats in terms of his influence <laughs> on that style <laughs> yeah. of music and i can't disagree with them and and later on the hip-hop generation uh You know, Doug Bohannon, too. I mean, Snoop Dogg and Diggable Planets and Jay-Z, they were all sampling his music because it was so darn danceable. Most of his songs had, you know, the, the lyrics were almost like a throwaway. They were very sparse. They were more like vamps. The song structures were very loose and open. But at the same time, there was structure there. Uh, and it became sort of a trancy, groove-oriented type of sound. Sometimes the beats were more emphatic. The song I'm going to play illustrates Bohannon's skill as as not only a um, a songwriter and arranger and, and, and drummer, but his variety of tempos. He wasn't just four on the floor. He was playing these kind of more subtle grooves on occasion, and a great example of that is uh, the song I'm going to play next, South African Man from 1974 and the late Bohannon on Sound Opinions. Mm -hmm. Mm
3: So
2: Man by Hamilton Bohannon, a tribute uh, to him dead at the age of 78. Nicely done, Greg. You can hear the connections between that and uh, Giorgio Moroder say on the electronic end of Disco. What do we have
0: on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we are going to Paris, to Rome, uh, to Georgia, Uh, (laughs) and uh, all in our minds because we can't go anywhere, but we are going to take some virtual vacations with the songs we choose. I can't
2: wait, Greg. You can download the Sound Opinions podcast wherever you get such things. You can join us on Facebook or Twitter. As always, the show is produced by Brendan Banizak, Alex Claiborne, and Andrew Gill. And we have to bid a fond and loving farewell to Ayana Contreras, who is going to our sister station, Vocalo. It's where she came from originally. It was such a treat having her for so long. We wish her all the best, and uh, we're going to still keep grooving to her reclaimed soul. Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. I've called and I've called you, but each time I phone,
0: they always tell me that you're not at home. New I've letters Hey, gentlemen. Uh, my name is Rio, and I'm calling from Kent, Ohio. And uh, when I heard you're gonna do a Special on uh, female MCs, I got all giddy because I got a couple I want to share with you. First is a sleeper, it's Sweet Tea from about 1988, and the single is On the Smooth Tip.
1: Testing my mic, one, two one two. I'm here to entertain. Yes, this means you. Don't need no help. myself, I proceed. Cause you need to enjoy yourself.
2: And the other is by my favorite female rapper, MC Light. And uh it's the entire album from the mid nineties of hers called uh that Is I Wanna Be. I be the
1: baddest, be the hit the scene, since the gangster lean I'm more ears. So what you got to say, I hope you're bubble in baby now, Bubbling in my way, let it rain. Ain't no Not
3: one of her name. more well known records, but uh and it's a solid record. And
2: uh again just uh, intelligent lyrics, something smooth beats
0: and heart too. So uh, check those out, guys, Uh, and uh, keep doing what you're doing. You guys got a great show. Thanks.
3: Hey, it's Jeremy Shatten from New York City. Thanks for keeping up the show while uh, this is going on. But I did just have to say about your review of the new Abnormal by the Strokes. My opinion is that if you don't kind of get that Angles was – at least as good as Is This It?, then there really is no point in reviewing a new Strokes record because they changed a lot over those years. They kind of tried to keep the momentum going from that first album with intermittent success, and then it just changed a lot. I just think that go back to angles, try to kind of accept it for what it is and see how brilliant it is, and then listen again to the new record. So I think it's the best angles, and uh, you know they, they really, really brought something great out just when we needed it. Thanks so much, guys. Talk to you later.
2: What's up, Jim and Greg? This is Jeffrey calling from quarantine in Atlanta, Georgia. I I enjoyed your recent episode on Buried Treasures. A band I recommend you check out is Fearing from Oakland, California. Their new album called Shadow came out a couple weeks ago. It's one of my favorite releases this year so far. So uh, that's my recommendation. Uh, Go check it out.
3: Hi, Greg and Jim, Connor calling from Kansas. Um, I just wanted to offer a plug for an excellent band from Chicago, actually. You've probably heard of them, but in case you haven't, a new album that came out a few months ago, the band Rap Boys. Fantastic Power Pop Band with some alt-country and indie folk textures as well. And, um, yeah, just been kind of killing
0: it the last few years. So look forward to some more good stuff from them. Thanks, guys. Bye.
1: No more messages.
0: To give us your opinions on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with more Sound Opinions, produced by WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.